Welcome to Unlocking Conflict, where we explore handling everyday tensions and disagreements better. This week, we look at what to do when a conversation is going wrong, when the red mist is rising, when it's getting out of control and you don't know what to do. So let's dive in. Great to be here tonight. We've got Fiona, Stephen and Phil talking about de-escalating conflict. What happens when a conversation is running away with you? everything gets very messy and faces are going red. How can we stop that happening? Or when it's happened, how do we bring it back down? And Fiona, I wondered if you could start us off with just a a practical example of how this has been showing up for you in your life recently in lockdown. So I'm just thinking of a story uh, recently of a conversation I had with our son and with his permission to tell it. He rang me up and was telling me with great excitement about this enterprise that he was going to be involved with. And he needed a bit of our support and help for it. And so I was just working out what that looked like. I was trying to be enthusiastic and helpful. But he detected somewhere in my voice a little bit of caution, negativity. And he was very sensitive to that. And he told me that he didn't feel I was being very supportive. I, 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 I sensed a sort of sense of unfairness at that moment. And then I said to him, but I hadn't really heard much about this. And he said, well, I've been talking about it for a year. And that really triggered me because I said, well, I haven't been hearing about it for a year. And he said, well, mum, where have you been kind of thing? And so suddenly my skills as a parent, as a mother are being questioned and I'm feeling bad about myself. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard what our son has been saying. I haven't followed it. I haven't been supportive. So that raises a whole lot more, takes takes it up a notch. And I think for me, I was noticing that I was going into the not listening, raising my voice, talking over our son. And this is danger zone for me. And I suddenly realized I had to draw back because it wasn't going to go better. And so I brought it back to say, okay, so um, what I'm understanding is you were hoping to see reflected in me the sort of excitement and enthusiasm you had for this project. And you're disappointed because you're not hearing that from me. And I'm getting anxious because I'm I'm getting the idea that I'm not a good enough mum that hasn't been following all your excitement and I can't engage with you. The moment I was able to reflect back what I saw was going on in this conversation, it took the whole... (laughs) level down it really was a very powerful de-escalator and what fiona i'm hearing fiona say is that there were danger signals or there were things were happening which sort of rang bells uh, which made that made her think whoops think that this is going wrong and those were the triggers for her to say let me just step back for a second let me now try and move around those and prevent this conversation from going away with me taking a degree of appropriate control on myself and on the conversation so that it can then relax a bit and move in a different direction. That's given us a a great snapshot of what we're going to now unpack um, that whole conversation. Now, full confession, Phil and I are obviously married. (laughs) Um, So I wondered, Phil, from your perspective, Stephen mentioned and Fiona mentioned those danger signs. For you personally, what are the things that you notice in yourself in conversations that are starting to escalate that make you stop and think, hang on, what's going on? As someone who probably avoids conflict quite a lot, 
I bury probably quite a lot of what those triggers are, but it will at some point erupt. And I will actually feel entirely out of control, but I'll probably just shout something. But I also recognize, I guess, my heartbeat racing. I find it quite hard to contain. You know, it just tips over and then I have to kind of get it out. But as a response of some of that, I've learned, but I often then take myself out of the situation. I mean, there's a great example in lockdown recently where I lost my temper, threw a pen, shouted something and went to the furthest corner of our garden and sort of faced away from the house um, (laughs) as a way of kind of like shutting out the conflict and taking myself out of that situation. So you almost notice yourself at a certain point losing control, which I think is something, however it manifests in us, we could probably all identify with. There's that sense in a conversation, the conversation's losing control, you're losing control of it and yourself. And that's probably happening for the other person as well. So what kind of techniques and tips can we use when a conversation is escalating in the way that we've talked about? Well, it's very hard, isn't it? Because for me, it feels like a kind of vortex sucking me up or a whirlpool sucking me down at that moment. And I just, everything in me sort of gets drawn down or up. So it's very, very hard to withdraw, uh, even if you notice the thresholds, the danger zones. And I think it may be helpful to, to just have a little ponder when you're not in a conflict and see what kind of things you can remember about the rows you've had. What happened for you? Uh, identifying some of the, the the danger signals you might recognise for next time. What went well? Where did it escalate? What happened for you? Are you a fight person, in which case you get more aggressive probably? Are you a flight person, in which case you might be tempted to withdraw at that point or be silent or freeze with indecision? So I think it's really helpful to identify the sort of responses you might be having for future and then you have a chance when you're being sucked into that kind of vortex of whatever it is you normally do you have a chance of recognizing it and making a decision and you asked about what kind of things you would do and i'm going to hand over to somebody else here the explosions that we can sometimes find ourselves involved with in conflict happen more because of what i call compression than ignition it's a build-up a slow build-up of pressure This is emotional pressure rather than physical pressure. The pressure increases, the pressure increases, and then there's an explosion. Rather than two gases, as it were, come together, someone lights a match and bang. Occasionally, I think the latter happens. And then it's a run for cover situation where we need to recognize that the chemistry of the people involved is such that it's just not going to work. We need to run. But most of the time, it's a slow buildup of pressure. And because of that, there are always signs on the road that this pressure is increasing. And the good news is that for most of us, if we can be alert to work out what those signals are, what the danger, Piano called them, the danger signs, the red flags, and we can begin to recognize both within oneself, as one knows how we respond, as Piano was saying, and within the other person where we're trying to guess as to what's going on, that we're beginning to get to a place where that pressure has increased dangerously. And to answer, Sarah, your question as to what we do, the answer quite simply is you have to lower the pressure. Somehow you have to reduce the pressure that's building up. 
And in a conflict situation, I think reducing pressure is all about slowing things down, talking more slowly, sitting down rather than standing up, asking the other person to repeat what she or he said. There are these depressuring tactics and techniques which are out there. And as I said at the outset, the good news is, I think in the huge majority of conflicts, we are able to diffuse that increasing pressure in ways that give us hope and enable us to work through the conflict to a way of moving beyond it. It's changing the direction of wherever it, it was going before, putting something in and saying, okay, let's do this differently now. For our son, it was reflecting back what I thought was going on for him and sharing what was going on for me. So that was a change of direction for the conversation. That's so interesting. I love that analogy of the pressure cooker and also changing direction. So actually back to you, Phil, what does the opposite look like? What do you notice yourself doing that builds pressure? Where I think I sort of escalate things, I notice in myself that I start speaking more forcefully. So that's a kind of trigger. I'm trying to get my viewpoint across more solidly and at the same time stop listening to what's coming back. And the reason I mention both of those is because I think there's a solution in both of those as well. And that's to start listening to what the other person says, to take a breath and maybe lower the tone of what you're trying to say, lower your voice. And one time quite recently, we also, Sarah and I, were having a slightly more fraught conversation and we both decided to sort of press pause. And we said, right, we'll have a minute silence and then we'll continue this conversation. Now that hadn't got to sort of blazing row level. So, you know, we were still able to kind of catch it earlier, I would say. So that was still an option. But yeah, that can be another little tactic. Thinking about losing control, what's the difference between that and me just expressing emotions? in an argument which is frankly like really hard not to do (laughs) there's a difference between escalation where it goes out of control and expressing something with heat which is different and I think we're not talking about repression here we're just talking about whether we go out of control and do damage Mm. to what's going on and I think that's the zone that we're looking at in this conversation Emotions aren't always a bad thing. Expressing things as you feel them is not a bad thing. So sometimes that will be at a high volume and a little bit forcefully. But making sure that you have control of that situation so that you don't say something that you're going to regret later or you don't say something that then it's much, much harder to come back from. So it's being in control of your emotions but not ignoring them and not repressing them so that you express. So you really get to what it is that you're feeling. I I know personally that sometimes I have to start saying something and probably start veering towards the wrong direction in order to really find out what it is that I need to actually express and what my real emotions are actually. But it's about knowing your triggers so that you can stop before you lose control. And actually on that, Point, I have a close friend who recently asked me if she could talk through a conflict with her um, because she she needed she didn't know what she wanted to talk about or think but she needed to have that space to process 
and that is actually another way and like a preemptive way of de-escalating a like a conflict that you can almost anticipate coming is that actually take place away from it with someone else that you trust who can help you unpack what you feel so that you can then say it in a way that doesn't escalate the conflict or hurt someone that's really helpful and i think in in one sense that it helps to clarify what actually is going on for that person we, we and if somebody as as they talk and begin to recognize their needs and their feelings and name them that also is a way of de-escalating it the problem comes when you move from emotions to judgment expressing what you're feeling however strongly and however vigorously you express it is really powerful the problem is that those feelings that you've got almost inevitably lead you to start pointing fingers and saying it was your fault because 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 that's where the pressure starts to increase it is a challenge isn't it because we've discussed in the previous episodes what happens with your brain is that you're not getting the full amount of of, of uh, oxygen to it as you normally are and so you're actually battling with a physiological problem as well and that's not helped when you're trying to change direction and slow things down and alter the course uh, the reactions are overtaking your ability to think and your ability to stay in control and your ability to stay in control not of the other person but of yourself uh, and your ability to concentrate on what's going on for the other person so you there is this tension there's stuff within you which is pushing you into this vortex um this spiral which gets increasingly fast uh, and somehow you need to recognize that and slow it down because slowing it down gives yourself time to think and when you have time to think you've just got about enough to stay in control just got enough to remember there's another person there and then the tactics or the techniques that I think Phil and Fiona were talking about that uh, can then be brought into play and, and we have to learn them because we don't feel like doing them at the time and so in advance planning just how one may react to it Phil mentioned I think about taking a deep breath so if you breathe in for 5 seconds you can't speak because you cannot physically speak when you're breathing in and part of the problem is we speak too quickly we say things we regret and with that into this vortex so a deep breath you may feel a bit of a prat doing it but it has an impact because you can't speak and you buy 5 seconds of time and um, what does that time do steven in each particular situation there'll be a different outcome so what the time you've bought the time you've gained may enable you to find something you can say where you agree with each other it may enable you to say well look you know we're not doing too well in this should we take a break it may say let's have a cup of coffee it may say look you know i i think what is happening has really distressed me and then we may be able to learn our ndc and begin to say well when you said that i felt really fearful and frightened because i need security so perhaps could you let us could you lower your tone i think Sharon was saying that in one of our earlier podcasts So how are you answering your question I think you've got these very simple basic ways of trying to take control over what your brain is saying it buys you enough time for you then to seek to adapt to the particular situation as I remember some years ago um in the context of community mediation I was uh, doing a presentation there were a number of people listening and one of them said well let me tell you about peacemaking it's what I know about peacemaking this was when a knife was pulled 
in a in a street in Elephanton Castle. So I said, well, you know, tell me what, what did you do? What was the situation? So he described the situation. He wasn't involved. He was a bystander, though. I think he knew some of the people involved, so it was a bit easy. And I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I got everyone to sit down. And I remember that, sitting down, quite often, it's hard, in one sense, if you think of the increase of pressure, it will tend to make people stand up and close on each other. It's harder to express that fury when you're sitting, and particularly if you're sitting back in a chair. The body doesn't quite work like that. And so therefore, if you de-escalate, one of the techniques, you sit down. Now, he went on and said, well, we then had a split. <laughs> and then when we had a great conversation with each other, I asked him afterwards, what did he feel like when the knife went down? He said, I have never felt so high in my life. He said, I've done the lot. But when that knife went down, I felt so good because what I had said in some way had de-escalated and it meant potentially a death had been prevented. So the sitting down thing is 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 important. And just like now, one other thing, uh, mediating a case all about 10, 12 years ago, uh, we had a very, 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 very angry New York lawyer. No apologies for that. It's not just New York lawyers, but very angry New York lawyer who barged into the room where I was the mediator and absolutely erupted, saying, we're off. We have been totally disrespected by the other side. It's absolutely outrageous. They have not begun to come to this in good faith. And he was just marching on. So I said, is it okay if I sit down for a moment? He said, yeah, sure. So I sat down. He then feels a bit awkward standing up, so he sits down. So I said, would you perhaps be able to repeat to me what you said and just give me a little bit of insight as to what you're feeling about where you're coming from in relation to it. So that took another five minutes. I felt I needed a little bit of extra time. I asked him to do it again. He was so caught up with it that he liked that because he felt I was really engaging. Ten minutes later, you were over the peak and that immediate emotion had subsided and we were back into a discussion and in due course, we found a settlement. Um... Thanks, Stephen. Two really powerful stories in completely different contexts there. So breathe, sit down, slow things down, use that time. What if you're listening to this thinking, there's no way this will work. There's no way they'll listen. I won't be able to get a word in edgeways. What would you say to that? Fiona? I think going back to one of our earlier podcasts is uh, really about listening. Because until we listen or give somebody the opportunity to rant or tell us what's on their mind, it's very hard for us to connect with them and, and, and to actually guess what's going on for them. So I think very few people would reject the idea of a platform for being listened to, if you offer that with genuine sincerity. It may be that they're bonkers and they just keep on doing it. More likely they're doing it because they haven't yet been heard. The person beforehand didn't somehow engage with the emotion or the feeling that was within that situation. And that person feels, well, I've got to say it all over again because they're just not listening. So Fiona's point about actually being prepared to listen and to show that you've listened by reflecting back what you've heard and by stepping into that person's shoes. So I was listening to something, someone who was talking about uh, when you're planning to have a, a difficult conversation and how if you can take it out of the space where you normally have conflict into a neutral space, 
it can often help the process. So that might be another way of de-escalating something by, by having a completely new area in which to have it in. So I have an example where um, I, at work, um, I always used to find at the end of the day or just past the end of the day, um, I ended up having quite fraught conversations with a particular colleague. It was one of those repeat, I wouldn't say the repeat conversation, I'd say it was a repeat scenario um, where things would just get a little bit escalated, a little bit tense and um, kind of end up walking away feeling a bit kind of like, oh, we've just basically spent a long time, not really got anywhere and just sort of irritated each other. And so I realised that actually the tactic in that scenario was just not to have that conversation then because I wanted to go home. So it wasn't, you know, it, it was the wrong time to be having that conversation. And actually, if you could approach that person or that individual who, you know, you have that scenario with at a different point in the day, you could end up with a very different conversation because there isn't the same pressures, environmental pressures on that conversation. Let's tackle something slightly more tricky that we might have seen in workplaces or different contexts um, when perhaps there is a conflict between two people which is not equal in a sense. Um, there is one party which has more power, is perhaps more aggressive. I'm thinking particularly of work situations where I've seen bosses who are borderline aggressive and abusive towards their employees. What advice would you give to people who find themselves in that kind of situation? Hmm. That, well, that's a really tough situation. Um, one bit of advice I gave a friend recently was to um, reflect back. So use some of those listening skills that we covered in, in episode three, but reflect back what it is that you've heard from your, your manager. And the reason for doing that is to communicate to them what, what it is that you're hearing them say. But before you do that is to ask permission. So say, would it be okay if I reflected back what I think I've heard you say? Uh, and the reason for that is, firstly, it readdresses part of the power imbalance. So it allows you to take control of the conversation a bit more and perhaps brings you back onto more of a even keel. But it also respects them and their need to be heard and what it is that they are saying. Uh, and it addresses that that need that they might have, which is to be heard, that you've heard them correctly. Uh, and then the second thing I would suggest is, as you're doing that, to so start being curious about what's going on for them and what might be going on for you. Like what might be the needs that are sitting underneath the surface for them and for you, so that you can begin to explore that perhaps, maybe just in your mind, but also you can begin to use that to help steer the conversation. So in that process, you are also becoming a bit more assertive about what your needs are and what you might be feeling and just being aware of that. Perhaps in the scenario, there's not a lot you can do in terms of de-escalating that scenario um, because of the power that's, that's at play and the, and the roles that people are in. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't come back to it afterwards. It doesn't mean that you can't have a follow-up conversation about how that possibly went or how it could be addressed differently, which allows you to explore maybe the next time how uh, it could be approached differently. It also allows you to explore what it is that you were 
feeling at that particular point in time in order to communicate some of those needs um, of your own. But having said all of that, it's a difficult scenario to, to start with. So I would recommend that people practice these things um, on a lower scale conflict, something that's not as as tense or, or emotionally charged, um, perhaps with the same person or, or with someone different. So to, to practice the techniques and practice the language that you want to use. Um, and the final thing might be to get a third person, a third party involved, someone impartial um, who might be able to give you a different perspective, um, might also be able to influence on your behalf or if nothing else support you through this situation got to, it's, it's really difficult because you've got an overlap of two concepts you have a relationship which builds up say on the shop floor in an office or wherever between maybe people of differing status role employee employer or those who represent employers so there is a relationship there but you've also got obligation the duties legally owed by both individuals to the other or the organisations to, to, to each other. And you have this uneasy working together of relationship and obligation and breach of obligation. I think initially, yes, if one tries to work on the relationship, to try and uh, respect both people as equals in the relational context. But then if power imbalance gets in and there's an abuse of power, and there's almost certainly in those circumstances a breach of a duty, uh, you're then moving into a different situation where it's probably wiser to use the regulate or use the almost certainly the internal processes that the employer will have it in place, which will almost always involve someone else coming in to help. So there will be someone brought in to help redress that power imbalance and to help the two individuals talk to each other, whether through a workplace mediation type process uh, or something less formal than that. So, so approaching relationally using those techniques Phil mentioned, but also, as you said, Stephen, there's also a contract. Formal ways of raising it is an issue within a workplace when the relational way doesn't work. And it actually makes me think that there's at least three players in a workplace. There's you, the person you're in conflict with, your line manager, and also your employer, who has a responsibility to create a culture where bullying and, and behaviour like that isn't tolerated. So there might, in fact, be a limit to what you can do as an individual but that doesn't mean that you can't do some things relationally. There's actually a great TED talk I saw specifically on workplace bullying, which I will put in the episode links for this episode, as we can't cover this in more depth now, as it's a huge topic. OK, so finally, um, what about when a conversation is escalating digitally over text or WhatsApp, for example? I would say a lot of the techniques are quite similar, as in, slow down you don't have to reply straight away take a breath try and understand what it is that other people are saying take the time and and think because um as soon as you write something down it's then quite often there for a very long time you know whether that's an email or a whatsapp group or on some kind of social media and so taking the time to think okay would i be okay if i write this thing and it's still there in a week in a month in a year's time because just having that little check probably helps you to think a little bit more carefully about what exactly you're saying and whether you're happy to stand by what you're saying. Also, just rather than just responding, is acknowledging what the other person has said. So I think that's quite a, a clever way of de-escalating de some of these things, 
is to say thank you for your comment. Try and use it as an engaging mechanism rather than a whiteboard where you're just trying to state your views. Yeah, that actually really reminds me of a colleague that I used to work with. I used to work in politics and obviously politicians get a lot of hate on social media and he would always say, (laughs) it's quite aggressive language, um, but he would always say, kill them with kindness. Never answer back on social media. Just say, thank you very much. I'm really sorry to hear this. Let's have a chat or let's email my office and then we can talk about this, which I guess is is basically respecting them and, and signaling that you want to listen to them over social media rather than just fighting back on your knee-jerk response. It also has the potential to bring in new triggers. Yes. So it starts off as being about um, how well you've spoken at a, an event, maybe, for, and then it becomes personalised, and that's when I think it ramps up And that can happen so easily with any situation, particularly on social media, where you've got a whole lot of other people involved ramping it up. So to round off this conversation about de-escalating conflict, we've talked about what escalates, triggers, things we notice in ourselves. We've talked about particular techniques we can use to slow down and get ourselves and our words under control, sit down and take the conversation on a, on a different course through reflecting back and listening. So I wondered if I could ask you for your final top tips on de-escalating conflict. I'd probably say self-awareness, recognising where my thresholds are before I go into the danger zone and managing to work out in advance a technique that I can use to, to stop myself at that point and slow myself down. I love Fiona's point of reflecting on past conflicts and working out what it is that sets you off or reflecting on the behaviours that you start to exhibit when you are getting wound up and then allowing yourself to take a breath when you recognise those things. So another tip that I have would be to try and keep your voice calm and level, even if you're not feeling that inside necessarily. And when things are getting escalated, because just by controlling the tone and pace of your voice can change the conversation. I think my top tip would be the word ask. The word ask connotes respect. You're not demanding, you're not judging, you're requesting. It's one of the stages of the NDC model that we've been working with. So on that note, thank you so much for those really valuable tools and techniques. It's been great to unpack a heated topic today of how we de-escalate conflict and keep control of conversations so that we can get the outcomes we want from them rather than ending with a great big mess. This has been Unlocking Conflict. Stephen mentioned NVC or nonviolent communication in this episode. More details in episode two. You might have also heard Stephen and Fiona's dog Percy in the background at some point there. Sorry about that. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and like, subscribe and review on your podcast apps to help others find these techniques and tips. And finally, if you're in a difficult situation and think that mediation might help, please do get in touch, even just to find out more, by emailing unlockingconflict at crux.org.uk and we can point you to some people that could help. Thanks for listening.